Good morning. If you would please take your Bible and look to Psalm 31, please. And I'd like to begin reading with verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed, and your righteousness deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my strength. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many, terrors on every, every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. O love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Just recently read an article from the Wall Street Journal talking about commercials in 2020. And it was pointing out common phrases that were in these commercials. In fact, they did, along with the journal, they provided a montage of commercials, just parts of commercials, giving 
how these uh, phrases were used in so many commercials in 2020. And here are some of these phrases. In times like these, in times like this, during these difficult times, in these troubled times, in these challenging times, in these trying times, in these precarious times, in these unsettled times, in these unprecedented times, in these times of uncertainty, in these uncertain times. It was these last two statements that got my attention, that is, in these times of uncertainty or in these uncertain times. And the reason they got my attention is I I wonder when can we ever truly have said in the past that our our times have been certain. I mean, if we're saying they're uncertain now, that implies that they have been certain. When have our times ever really been certain? I, I thought about this as I was getting ready for um, the message here, and, and I thought I could tell you time after time after time again in my life where I woke up in the morning I had an idea of what I intended to do. I had an idea of what I expected to happen. And then sometime during that day, something happened that was a tragedy that rocked my world completely. Completely unexpected and yet devastating and life altering. And yet you don't want to listen to all those. And quite frankly, I don't want to go through all those again myself to talk about them. But it is true that we, we think that we are certain about what's going to happen when in truth we're not. If you don't believe that, um, I, I'm from Ohio. Many of you know this. Um, a lot of football in Ohio. I'm a big football fan. Uh, just listen to sportscasters in their predictions of games. Uh, it, it is just amazing how many hours and hours and hours are on these sports channels of people um, getting paid to tell you who's going to win what games and who's going to lose what games and what have you. And then you watch the games and they're just like completely off. Now, if they make a prediction about the Browns um, losing, that's not really a prediction. That's just really kind of the way it is. And so being from Cleveland... Uh, we understand that too. But, but in truth, we, we don't know the future. Our times are not certain to us. In fact, that's why last week we read um, from James 4, um, 13 through 15. And I, I wanted us to, to uh, look at that again. In verse 13 of James 4, he wrote, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, We will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So the first thing that caught my attention with these statements of, in these uncertain times is like, we're never really certain of our times in the first place. But there was a second thing that came to mind as I heard this. And that is while our times are, are always uncertain to us, 
They are always certain to God. There are no uncertain times to God. And that's why James, again, in verse 15 of what we just read, said, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3.11 said, God has made everything appropriate in its time. The prophet Isaiah, um, in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 46.10, God said, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done, saying, my plan will take place and I will do all my will. The psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 16, wrote, Lord, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. And so this is what David, I think, is conveying as well as we look at verses 14 and 15 here in Psalm 31. He says, but as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. As we look in this psalm, we see at the beginning of this psalm, virtually the the first half of it really is dealing, we, we see David was dealing with several difficulties. The text doesn't tell us whether it was one thing that happened that had kind of a domino effect that caused several other things to happen, or perhaps he was just getting hit on all sides from different sources all at the same time. The point of the, the text is not to point out why these things were happening but more of what was David's response to these things. How is the person who has faith in God to respond to these kinds of circumstances? And so I would like us this morning to concentrate on verses 14 and 15 and then learn from it as to how we should respond to similar things. And notice again in verses 14 and 15, he said, but as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. And so I, uh, many of you know, I teach at the, the seminary and I teach Old Testament, but uh, I teach um, graduate students in preaching pertaining to the Old Testament. And uh, one of the things I've caught on with these preaching students, all of them have been taught that when they preach a sermon, that they should have a, they should get the main idea of the text and convey the main idea. And so they'll talk about what's uh, one book that's no, um, very popular among them is called The Big Idea, or they're just talking about what's the main idea. I want to tell you right now what the main idea of what I want us to look at this morning. And it is this phrase in verse 15. My times are in your hand. And so the big idea, the main idea is that my times are in God's hand. So I want you to repeat that. I'll count to three. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. My times are in God's hand. One more time. My times are in God's hand. 
That's the point. That's what I want us to focus on this morning. Now, I've had too long of a break from school, and so I'm itching to give quizzes and tests, so I'm not there yet. So I'm going to give you um, a few questions here this morning. The first one is this. How many of you would raise your hand and affirm that the Lord is your God? How many would do that? Okay. I tell my students I don't ask hard questions, so there you go. Um, They don't always believe that. But um, the next question. So those of you who affirm the Lord is your God, how many of you believe that God is, is in control of all of history, of the present, and of the future? That God is in control of all time. How many of you would affirm that? All right, great. So how many of you who believe that God has all of time under his control How many of you would say that you believe that God has everything in your life under his control? How many would say that? All right. Well, here's my last question. And you don't have to raise your hand on this one because it's not one to raise your hand on. But if you believe those truths that the Lord is your God that he's over all of history and that he has everything even in your life under his control. Then the question is, what difference does that make in how you think and what you say and how you act? If you believe that your times are in God's hand, then how is that demonstrated in your thinking, and in your talking, and in your activities. Well, David, I think, helps us with this and this psalm. And I would just like to look at parts of the latter half of this psalm where he moves from saying that my times are in your hands to talking about how that is so and how that affects him, what his response to that truth is. When we recognize our times are in God's hands, I I believe, first of all, we can trust in his faithfulness. Notice in verse 16, he says, make your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness or your faithfulness or your faithful love. It's that idea there. his, His covenant, it's his love for his people. He's saying, I'm trusting in you, Lord. I'm trusting in your faithfulness. And I trust in you because my times are in your hands. And it's interesting, Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. He says, he wrote that even if we are faithless, the Lord remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. This is who he is. He is faithful. And he cannot be anything else because it would deny who he is. And God is faithful to his people. He is faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his purposes in your life and in my life. That's why we can be, as Paul wrote in Philippians 1.6, confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day 
of Jesus Christ. He will carry out his plan for you, his purposes for you. He is committed to that. In fact, he's committed to that for you and for me to be what he has called us to be and what he has saved us to be more than we are ourselves. And what is it that he is working on overall? Well, Paul wrote of this in Romans 8, 29, when he said, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son. The Lord God is committed to finishing the work that he has begun in you. And what is that work? If you are his child, that commitment is for you to be made into the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, his image, to be like Christ, to be like him, to conform to him. That's his purpose. And so he's faithful in this. And because of this, we can recognize that our times are in, when our times are in God's hands, we can trust his presence with us. Look at verse 20. He says, you hide them in the secret place of your presence. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, a more familiar passage to most of, most of us, God has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? If God is with us, what reason is there for us to be anxious? Especially about our times, what's going on in our lives. What reason is there for us to be afraid Truly, if God is with us. I remember when I was a young man, this stuck with me. I heard uh, a man teaching from um, the, the, the passage that talks about um, if God is with us, who can be against us? And it, it stuck with me when he said this, if God is with us, everyone else might as well be. Everyone else might as well be because God is going to do what God is going to do in the lives of his children. And no one can thwart the purposes of God. No one. And he is with us. And so because of this ongoing presence, notice here, we can trust in God's protection. Look at verse 20 again. He says, you hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. We see here a picture of God's protection. And he is looking out for you. He cares about you. I think about my own children that are grown now. But especially when they were young and at home. I think about, I would have done anything to protect them. And we understand this. And if this is true about parents who are sinful ourselves, how much more true about our righteous and holy and good God? He is committed to protect his children. 
And when we recognize our times are in God's hands, it is then we can trust in his goodness. We can trust in his goodness. Again, in verse 19, notice how, what he says. How great is your goodness, which you have stored for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. He is good. God is good. The Bible makes this very clear. There are numerous passages in Scripture that speak of God being good, that God is good. And that means that God is good. It doesn't mean that God does good things. In other words, God does good things, but he's more than that. He is good. It's his very character. And I think sometimes we get that mixed up because we think he's only good if he does what we deem to be good things. For instance, say you're out on the road in your car and someone pulls out in front of you and you hit those brakes so that you don't crash into that car. And lo and behold, you did it. It was on time. There was no accident. And you take a, a breath and you sigh and you say, thank you, Lord, you're a good God. Let me tell you, if you had not hit those brakes in time and you had crushed into that car, God is still good. He is still good. And sometimes we think he's good as long as he keeps us out of what we deem to be trouble. As long as he makes our lives comfortable and as long as he does the things the way we want them to do for our own comfort, then God is good. But the truth is God is good all of the time. And what are we to make of this? So what does it mean for God to be good? Romans 8.28, a very familiar passage to us. We, it says that we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And there we recognize that not everything is good, but God works out all things for the good of those who are his children. But the question still comes then, why does God let me, why does God let you experience difficulties if he's good. And it takes me to James. And I think about James chapter 1, beginning with verse 2. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. I believe that all of you who raised your hand earlier, saying that you affirm that the Lord is your God, I believe if I were to ask you, do you want to be a mature believer in Christ? You would be raising your hand and saying, I want to be a mature believer in Christ. I will tell you that God wants us to be mature believers in him more than we want that ourselves. And he is committed to it so much 
that he will use various trials to test our faith so that we might grow in perseverance and that we might mature in him. I think back to a time when I was a teenager. There was uh, an authority figure, an adult in my life that, uh, how should I say it, just was just treated me wrongly and, and unfairly in numerous ways, such that other adults saw this and even went to my parents and, and asked them about it. And, and I told my parents what was going on. And what really happened at that time and for years after that even, there was some anger I had toward my parents. Because whenever it would come up, my parents would say, you need to do the right thing. They never did go to that person. They never did intervene in any way to that person. And I knew my friends of mine, if their parents heard this, man, their parents would have been right in there um, doing something about it. And I wondered, why didn't my parents do this? I, I'll tell you why. And I, I figured this out and realized that the older I got living with my parents and then when I moved away from my parents. My parents wanted me to learn that there are going to be people that treat me wrongly and unfairly and that I have one person that I can depend on and that's the Lord in these things. And that God has a purpose in these things even when those things are wrongly done toward us. God has a purpose even in those wrong things to help us to grow and persevere and mature into the image of Jesus Christ. Do you not think, I often think about this and I realize how little I really recognize about what our Lord went through. But we read closely the Gospels, how many times do we see people attacking Jesus, deriding Jesus, putting Jesus down, and scoffing at Jesus? He is the Lord God, and this is what they were doing to him. And he took it and was faithful to his purpose of taking all of that so that he might go to the cross and die and that he might be put into a grave and be raised again and to ascend to the Father and make intercession for you and me and that he would save us from death unto life by what he did. And he wants us, God the Father is at work. He is committed to the purpose of making us conform into the image of his son. And that means that he's going to use trials and difficulties in our lives to do that at times. And this is a part of our times, a part of our lives as believers. When we recognize our times are in God's hands, we can trust that he hears our prayers. Look at verse 22. It says, as for me, I said in my alarm, I'm cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. It's one thing when like, I felt like my parents weren't listening, or it's one thing when we, when we tell others and, and we think other people aren't listening or, or, or don't care. But it's quite another thing when we pray to God and it seems like he's not listening and it seems like he doesn't care. Let me tell you, he does care. 
And he does hear our prayers. And just because we don't sense what God is doing and don't recognize it and don't see it, that doesn't mean that we can't trust that God is with us and that God is through all these things over all the events that are taking place in our life and is using them for his purpose to grow us into the image of Christ and for God's glory. He is committed to that. And so we can trust that he hears our prayers, even when we don't always understand what's going on in our lives. We can recognize our times are in God's hand when, when we do that, rather, when we recognize our times are in God's hand, we have more reason to love him. Look at verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. He, he, he is faithful and his faithfulness and his faithfulness in our lives and in Everything that's happening in our lives is just one more reason to love him. One more reason to praise him. One more reason to trust in him. And when we recognize our times are in God's hand, we can face the future with hope, with strength, and courage. Notice verse 24. It says, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. You see, when you have hope in the Lord, and you have hope in the truth that he has your times in his hand, and that not only includes the present, but that includes the future. When we hope in him and the future that we have in him, it is that which gives us strength and courage in the present. When truly your hope is in what God is going to do, then we have strength now and courage now to serve him and to love him, to worship him, and to live as he's called us to live. But let me tell you, no hope in the future no strength in the present. No hope in the future, no strength in the present. I talk about football, just any sport. If you're going up against a team, and I've done this before, I played on a team one time, we, we went one in 15 that season. One win, 15 losses. The only losing team I'd ever been on in my life. It was really true that we went up against some teams. It's just like, we're going to lose. I mean, we just knew we were going to lose. And we did. You see, but the thing is, we didn't even try. Because we didn't believe we could win. You know when we tried? When I was on teams that actually won some games. You know why? Because we, we believed we could. There was hope for us. And let me tell you, there are way too many of us as Christians, we don't have hope in what God is going to do. And because of that, we are weak where we are today. And we say, I believe that God is in control of 
the, all of history, that God is in control of what's happening today, and God is in control of the future, and this is true about my life. My question to you then, how is that real in your life? Really? How does that affect how you think? Really? How you talk? How you live? Because if you truly believe that, then it will show itself in our lives. This is what we see in David. This needs to be our own word today. My times are in your hand. Is that what you can say to the Lord with trust and faith in the one to whom you're saying that to? May that be what we are today as we leave this place. Let's, let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness throughout all of history, that you're in control of all things. We thank you more specifically that from the very moment we were conceived until our final breath on this earth, that our times are in your hands. And as believers, we thank you that even beyond that for eternity. Father, I pray that this truth would be instilled in our hearts and that we would live this out to your glory and as a testimony to this lost world of the God who has all time in his hands, the God who is the one true God whom we serve, who loves us, who sent his son to live, to die, to be buried, to rise again, to ascend. We, we serve that God, and we pray that we would be a testimony to the salvation that we have in him. In Jesus' name we pray.